Greetings, dear listeners, and welcome to Reformed Meditations. I'm Lee, and I'm coming to you today with a Festivus episode, because unlike Festivus, the airing of grievances can occur all year round. <laughs> and uh, this one is kind of a late-breaking uh, grievance that I find halfway entertaining, but also disturbing. So the other day, as I do, I was perusing Twitter, my favorite of all social platforms. You need to follow me uh, at Ref Meditations on Twitter. Um, let me brighten your day for you. Anyway, I happened upon a tweet that I sensed was tongue-in-cheek, but I had no evidence at, at the moment that I saw it. This t- tweet was tweeted by an account at Bartbro. B-A-R-T-H underscore B-R-O. Now, I'm not a huge fan of Carl Bart in any way, but um, this tweet appeared. Um, and the tweet said simply, you get to cut one book from the Bible. Which one is it? And my immediate reaction was, um, none of them. And I thought that, that was a relatively normal response for a convicted Christian to say, right? Because the Bible is God's book. It's not my book. Uh, Christians believe that God assembled the canon and that when it was made official and the list of books were put on paper by a group of men at a church council, that they weren't selecting the books. They were simply agreeing that the biblical books that were listed were inspired by God and had been used in ministry up to that point. And they were going to be officially codified as the canon of Scripture. So there's conspiracy theories out there about how men conspired to make the Bible what it is. And they were unwilling to accept the apocryphal books or the Gnostic Gospels or some of the other non-attributable books that were out there at the time. Uh, They weren't willing to put them in the canon uh, they didn't want to see them there, and so they left them out. And those that ideas kind of persisted throughout history, and of course the internet loves a bad idea, so you see that argument floated uh, across the internet anytime somebody talks about the canon of Scripture. So I kind of anticipated that a, a dumpster fire would occur, and I was correct. So I'm just going to read a few of these tweets and, and comment. So again, the original tweet, you get to cut one book from the Bible. Which one is it? I have to say, um, I follow an account, Cranky Fed, uh, who's a an Anglican uh, with a, a just an absolute hilarious uh, Twitter. And he, he tweeted a, a clip from uh, the Mad Max movie with Tom Hardy in it. And it said, it was him pointing upward saying, that's bait. <laughs> <laughs> Which is exactly right. It was bait. And boy, uh, did some people get caught in the trap. A lot of people said Ruth, which I don't understand why you would want to leave Ruth out of the Bible. One person said Ruth. Um, another person said Leviticus. We don't do any of that anymore anyway. Which I think is a, a common issue with people in the church. Now, this tweeter... Uh, does say 
that he's a Christian, so I'm going to take him at his word that he's a Christian. But we, the church greatly misunderstands the usefulness of Leviticus, because it's not necessarily about telling us what we should eat or the festivals that we should observe. What it's doing is laying out not only the law that points to its fulfillment in Christ, but also the responsibilities of the priesthood. And it's all laying the groundwork for understanding the work of Christ as our great high priest. You know, there's a lot of crossover between stuff that goes on in in Leviticus, well, really all throughout uh, the Pentateuch, the first five books, and uh, Hebrews, tying up the details of Jesus' high priestly work. And we have to understand that through the lens of what was revealed in the Old Testament for the priests to do in the worship of Old Testament Israel. And actually, to that point, another tweeter said, going to get myself canceled and say Hebrews. Again, another person uh, who calls himself a Christian. And then there was a, a reply to that tweet that said, I'm with you, a terribly misused book. Nothing has so badly stunted Christian exploration of the Tanakh than the lens of Hebrews. I have no idea what that means. Of course, this was tweeted by a PCUSA pastor, so maybe that explains the sort of liberal perspective. But the lens of Hebrews is so key to understanding the Old Testament, which he calls the Tanakh. That's the Hebrew word for what we call the Old Testament, the collected Old Testament books. Which, by the way, they don't, the, even, even Jews don't accept the Old Testament era apocryphal books. Those have never been in the Jewish canon. And, and so we Christians use the same Old Testament canon. Because there's a reference to pretty much every Old Testament book somewhere in the New Testament. It's hard to cut out or add to the things that are referenced in later Revelation. So, I don't, it's a very confusing take. Uh, honestly, one that I'd never heard before, but kind of triggered me, because I love the book of Hebrews, and I think it's immensely helpful. In fact, I, I became a better student of the Old Testament for having studied Hebrews. That That's why I'm going through it on the podcast now, actually, because uh, I think it's so helpful for understanding the imagery and the themes and the events of the Old Testament. Somebody did ask that PCUSA pastor to expand on the thought, and uh, he didn't. Um, I want to read you a couple really good answers. One guy tweeted, None. You just have to know how to read the different books in different genres in historical and cultural context and how everything fits in the whole although there are several sections of repetition, like between Chronicles and Kings. And, and that's true. There's, there is some repetition in some of those historical books in the Old Testament. But again, that's not a reason to cut them. There's a reason things get repeated in the Bible. Um, but he's right. It's so important to have all the different books, the different genres, understanding their context in history uh, and how the, the story of redemption progressed from the earliest moments all the way through into the New Testament. Somebody else said, had a negative physical reaction to this tweet. Absolutely none of them. And honestly, I, I kind of agree with every word of that. 
a self-proclaimed Methodist pastor, said, Proverbs is bleh. I don't love the pastoral epistles either. Then another commenter said, uh, Proverbs is kind of useless, to be honest. Then the Methodist pastor further replied and said, Proverbs is the only book my Bible study group demanded we abandon before the end. Then he quotes, Okay, okay, there's wisdom and there's a prostitute. It's all the same. I don't get that either. Like, I truly don't understand where that comes from. There was Numbers, Chronicles, more Leviticus, Romans several times. Those were usually tweeted by either uh, self-identified gay people or uh, gay activists of some kind. It's very frustrating. Second and third John, because they're short, which seems like a weird reason to cut a biblical book. Several people said Psalms. A couple of them were tongue-in-cheek. I appreciated one that said, I would cut Psalms and bind it by itself. Boom, I just gave you the Psalter. I thought that was a pretty good one, actually. Uh, but I would still put Psalms back in the Bible, obviously. I would copy Psalms and then bind it on its own. I think that's a better solution. And then, of course, a lot of people said Revelation, although they ended up usually spelling it Revelations, which tells me that they haven't read it very much, uh, because they say nobody reads it very much. So part of my gripe uh, goes back to, uh, first of all, just kind of the flippant way that a lot of these people spoke about the Bible. And I know not all of these people that commented in this thread were believers, so I wouldn't expect them to approach the Bible with any reverence or respect. But several people from theologically liberal church traditions did speak with kind of a cavalier attitude about what they would take scissors to. And that frustrated me and also made me sad because we have an epidemic in in the country, in this country for sure, but also really across the world, of not only biblical illiteracy, but a, a feeling that the Bible is insufficient. It's either insufficient to answer the questions that we're asking in this generation, or that it's embarrassing. And I'm seeing that a lot more. I certainly saw it in this tweet thread, um, which absolutely exploded. And the, uh, the the author of the tweet did confirm and say the, the answer, the correct answer was none. We're not removing any books, uh, but it certainly didn't go that way. I have to ask questions about people who identify as Christian but would be gleefully cutting books from from the Bible because of some personal reason they don't like it. There were several people who just said, I want to cut Paul from the Bible. And yet, of course, they forget, or maybe they never knew, that Peter himself, in his letters, uh, refer to Paul's writings as Scripture. So I don't know why you would want to cut inspired scripture out of inspired scripture, but um, apparently a lot of these people think that or think that none of it's inspired. Um, there's so many varied opinions about the Bible in the world, and even really within the church, uh, and that's something that uh, makes me want to air my grievances, which I believe I've done for long enough at this point. So uh, I want to turn to a couple passages of scripture and then read a couple paragraphs from the 1689 London Baptist Confession of Faith. Uh, this is from chapter 1 of the Confession. I'm just going to read paragraphs 4 and 5, and we're going to look at a couple 
passages uh, in the scripture about the scripture. Okay, starting in chapter 1, paragraph 4. The authority of the Holy Scripture, for which it ought to be believed, dependeth not upon the testimony of any man or church, but wholly upon God, who is truth itself, the author thereof. Therefore it is to be received, because it is the word of God. So it's tying the authority of Scripture, and and by that is also implicated the fact of the collection of Scripture, the entire canon of Scripture, is what it is because God is truth and because he's the author of all of it across the span of of history in which the individual books, letters, poems, all of it together were written, uh, he is the unified author of all those over that time. And then paragraph five, we may be moved and induced by the testimony of the church of God to a high and reverent esteem of the holy scriptures in the heavenliness of the matter the efficacy of the doctrine and the majesty of the style, the consent of all the parts, meaning that the parts all agree together, the scope of the whole, which is to give glory to God, the full discovery it makes of the only way of man's salvation, and many other incomparable excellencies and entire perfections thereof, are arguments whereby it doth abundantly evidence itself to be the word of God, yet notwithstanding, our full persuasion and assurance of the infallible truth and the divine authority thereof is from the inward work of the Holy Spirit bearing witness by and with the word in our hearts. Now, talking about the Holy Spirit there, this is different than when the uh, Mormons say that, well, you should read the Book of Mormon, and when you feel the burning in the bosom, then you uh, can be assured that you know what we're talking about is true. That, that's not the case at all, because the illumination of the Holy Spirit is throughout the entire person. It's not a mere emotional response, but it's not less than an emotional response, right? So when we read Scripture and we're cut to the heart, as it says in Acts, um, it's not just that we understand a truth of God, which, by the way, the Scriptures say that spiritual truths must be spiritually discerned, so it's not a mere mental assent to a fact, like if you're reading a a science textbook or something, and you agree with a fact that is uh, established or a historical fact that a certain thing was written at a certain date or something like that, this is something that pierces even into the soul. Uh, the, uh, a knowing of God, knowing that God is telling the truth in these scriptures. Uh, it's something that no other literature can ever do because there is no other literature written by God than the Bible. So let's let's turn to the Bible real quick here. Uh, first, I want to look at uh, a couple parts of Second Peter. So ch- chapter one, verses nineteen through twenty-one. This is in the LSB. And we have as more sure the prophetic word to which you do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. This is the illumination of the Holy Spirit we're talking about here. Um, Verse 20. Know this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes by one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by the will of man, but men being moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. And then, of course, we know from... Uh, the text of Scripture, that not only did these men speak from God, they also wrote from God, right? Sometimes they're even 
openly commanded by God to write down their prophecies. Um, the the gospel writers were inspired by God to write down the accounts of the earthly ministry of Jesus. So we can say that not only did they speak from God, but then they wrote from God. And actually, Peter goes on here uh, in chapter 3, turning to it now, um, of Second Peter. I'll start in 314. 2 Peter 314. Therefore, beloved, since you are looking for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless. And consider the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given him, wrote to you, as also in all his letters, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, that's for sure, I agree with that sometimes, which the untaught and unstable distort, as they do the rest of the scriptures, to their own destruction. You there, you therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, be on your guard, lest you, having been carried away by the error of unprincipled men, fall from your own steadfastness, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. So there's a lot going on in just these few verses, right? First of all, Peter is accepting and encouraging uh, the people reading his letter to uh, read Paul, read his letters, and accept his letters at the same level of authority as they do the established scriptures at that time, you know, the entire Old Testament. Right, he's saying that the same author that wrote the Old Testament is inspiring Paul at this moment to send the letters that he was that he was sending. And so they should be accepted, even if they are a little hard to understand, which, by the way, is another thing that's covered in the Confession, is that the proper way to interpret Scripture is by the Scripture, not to import an idea from someone else's mind into the Bible to help us understand it, which is kind of how you get tradition taking over uh, entire church denominations. Uh, but that's a, that's another topic for another time, perhaps another Festivus episode. But the point here is that God is up to something when it comes to the written word. God inspired the writing of particular books. He guided the church in reading those books together, compiling them into the book that we call the Bible, and by the clear evidence and consistency of all 66 books together, they were accepted into the canon, not because a group of people said that they should be, but more as a statement of fact that, yes, these books are obviously inspired by God, because not only are they consistent within themselves, commenting upon each other, uh, that there's a, a, a single author that you can see that authorial hand throughout the entire canon, but also that the illumination of the Holy Spirit is active uh, in the reading, study, and preaching of these texts. So those things together make the Bible what it is. So it's not artificially put together. God has already arranged for them to be together, and the church being careful studiers, uh, careful preachers, careful listeners to the Word uh, recognize that. So that's why I find a tweet like this, even if it was done in jest, to be unhelpful, because 
it allows too much opportunity for the world to spew its venomous ideas about God and direct them at his word uh, and potentially try to erode the confidence of those who either are not convinced of the faith or uh, are looking for a reason to fall away. So uh, there were some laughs involved in the tweet, but overall uh, I had a grievance and I, I must air it. And isn't that the spirit of Festivus? So I hope this uh, episode has been uh, interesting, maybe edifying. Uh, maybe it will get you to do some research into the canon of Scripture, uh, the history behind why Protestants use only the 66 books and other traditions let uh, other books slide into the canon. Um, it's pretty interesting history. Uh, I think there's a lot of uh, incorrect thinking in other camps about why they've chosen the canons they've chosen. And I've got to put my cards out there because I am a confessional Baptist. So this is what I think, this is what I stand for, and I'm not the only one. So thank you very much for listening. Uh, check the show notes. Uh, if you would like to follow on Twitter, you can find me at Ref Meditations, R-E-F Meditations. There's also a Facebook page that you can go and like, and I try to share more content there. Uh, it's something I'm working hard to do better at. You should also check the show notes for the link to the Bar Network website because Reformed Meditations is happily part of the Bar Network family, and there's lots of good podcasts that the network offers that you should go and subscribe to on the podcatcher of your choice. Uh, you will not be disappointed. And you should also check the link for the Exiled House of Meme Lords because they are doing yeoman's work over there, memeing the Reformation. <laughs> As I've said before, the Reformation will be memed, and it is being memed. So you should go check them out, like their pages on Facebook. And uh, you can also email me, reformedmeditations at gmo.com. If you have any questions, issues, uh, recommendations for topics to talk about, uh, or passages of Scripture to look over, maybe even answer some questions about, I'd love to do anything like that, so feel free to reach out. Uh, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace.